Welcome back, everybody. Um, another episode of Champagne Room Hoops podcast brought to you by the good folks over at New Amendment. Again, uh, joined by former Illini star Brandon Paul, BP3, um, and former swingman Billy Cole, number 30 in your program, but always number one in Illini fans' hearts. Uh, it's been an interesting week uh, for the Illini, a good week uh, from their perspective. Uh, so lots to get into, lots to talk about. Uh, Brandon, uh, who we mentioned before, over in Germany playing some pro hoops. Um, I did see uh, you had a game or two this past week. I saw some highlights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately uh, for myself, the, the Illini are doing a little bit better than us right now. We've, we've lost the last couple of games, uh, one in international competition and one in German competition. So, uh, you know, we're trying to get back to the drawing bars ourselves. We've got a new signee coming in. Uh, we've been dealing with injuries all year. You know, when I came in, I think they had like three guys that were uh, not within the team just because they were dealing with injuries. So, um, but, you know, it's a long season. We've still got a ways to go and, uh, you know, learning stuff along the way. Uh, so I've, I've got some good news with the Illini with the last few games, got a couple of wins. So that's kind of boosted my spirits. What would you say the biggest adjustment or change throughout your pro career that you've noticed from when you were first a pro and now you're, you know, an experienced veteran um, playing overseas basketball? What have, what have you noticed has changed or what's, what's been different? What have you adjusted to? Uh, pretty much adjusted to the different cultures, you know, trying to open yourself up to uh, understanding where you've been and, and where you're trying to go and the, and the places you've been able to visit. And, uh, you know, something similar to college where, you know, being overseas and obviously being with a different time zone, I've had to understand a whole nother meaning of time management. And, uh, you know, because you do get a lot of downtime, although you travel a lot, you're changing time zones. Uh, you do get a decent amount of downtime and, and kind of gets you figuring out what you want to do, you know, after your sport. And that's kind of been where my head's at. And how different is the travel compared to like when you were at Illinois? Um, what are their travel arrangements like where you've been at? Um, it really depends on the league you're in, man. It depends on the country you're in, the league you're in. Uh, you know, I've been in situations where, for example, I've been in Russia my rookie year where we had a full 24-hour travel day. You know, I'm talking multiple uh, airports in Russia, uh, hour drives to airports, switching terminals, uh, all the way from, you know, being able to fly charter, having our own flight and going to and from, you know, the gym has been nice. But uh, as far as it's changed since college, um, I'm still logging a lot of miles. I wish I had kept track with uh, all the places that I, that I spent throughout my college years as, as much as I have now. Just one other. We got a pretty diverse squad over here. Man. We got a, we got a Spanish. We got a couple of, uh, kids from Brazil. Uh, we got one from Montenegro. Uh, a few German. So we're we're a little bit all over the place. That's good, man. That's good experience. Gives you. I'm sure you've gained a lot of perspective um, in life over the last handful of years. So that's awesome. Um, let's tip it off. Illinois, uh, last we were on, um, they were reeling off of, of a good win, a must win uh, versus Wisconsin that they handled their business at home. Um, and we talked a little bit about uh, Nebraska that was coming up, which they um, played last Tuesday. Um, and we mentioned all of us in, in some way, shape or form that um, this was a game um, that 
had to be sort of like a business trip for Illinois, right? Uh, come off a big win at Wisconsin. You go to a Nebraska team that um, is at home. Um, they want to beat you. Uh, they're sitting there waiting for you. They're ready for you. And you're coming off an emotional win, um, sort of like a trap game, right? So Illinois goes into Nebraska, um, and they handle them. And I think the perfect way to describe it is it was a business trip for them, right? Um, I thought personally, watching the game early on, um, it was your prototypical Big Ten kind of wrestling match. A lot of fouls called early. Neither team could really get into a rhythm. Um, and then I think you saw Nebraska make a few runs, but I thought Illinois did a great job of responding to those runs and staying even keeled. And then obviously in the second half, um, kind of pulled away and separated themselves. I think um, the, the one thing that really hopped the page to me about the Nebraska game was just how, and I really hadn't thought this about this before, was just how athletic it looked. Um, I thought, I thought we, at, at times when they, they would come on runs and the crowd would stand up, they'd cut it to like eight points. And it was just like our physical ability to just wear them down and just be so much bigger, faster, and stronger. I thought Terrence second game in a row at this point, and he actually did it again in the Michigan State game to follow, where like the first 10 minutes he just came out and was like, uh-uh, like this is this is on me. And, you know, he had a, just a stellar first half, and it, it just kind of blew the doors off Nebraska. And for that, from that point forward, they were trying to play catch up, and that doesn't work very well when, you know, the Illini are making around nine threes a game or something like that. So it was just Nebraska was never really in it, and then every time they really tried to, get the crowd into it and, and, and fight back, scratch, scratch and claw back into the game. It was just, it just seemed like the athleticism and the energy that, that Underwood has his team playing with kind of took over and slammed the door on him. Yeah. It's like you said, Terrence Shannon came in and he set the tone early uh, and he did the same thing in the Michigan state game where he kind of imposed his will and showed them that he was, he's coming to play. And I, I think a lot of the team uh, kind of picked up off of his energy and, you know, started off both games pretty serious and, you know, it took a while to kind of take the reins control of the full game in the second half, but they did it. And, you know, obviously it was a low scoring game. You can you could see that their defense is is putting a lot of pressure on the other team's offense. And uh, it showed in the last couple of games and you know, we'll get into the Michigan State one. But for Northwestern, uh, they set the tone early. They kind of leveled out towards the middle and, and finished strong. Yeah, I, I thought you both said it and mentioned it. Um... You know, obviously the story um, was Terrence Shannon, like you, you said, Bill. He kind of imposed his will on this game. Um, and I noticed he was a lot more efficient. Um, and by that, I mean there wasn't a lot of dead dribbling. There wasn't a lot of him, you know, faced up outside the three-point line, dribbling four or five times trying to get into the paint or get an advantage offensively. It was a lot of catch and rip-throughs, decisive decisions to where he was getting to spots and making it easier on himself. And like you said, Bill, he's so big and strong. Once he gets his shoulder down past you, um, it's it's a total disadvantage for the defense. So I thought he was obviously a stat line. I mean, it was 25, 11, and 4. There's not many um, stat lines in the Big Ten throughout the course of a season that you're going to see um, like like the game he had. And then I thought the, the, the second guy, and I tweeted about it in the second half, uh, I thought Coleman Hawkins was huge in that game. There's a specific point in the second half where um, – I think Nebraska came out in an 8-0 run to start the second half and cut it to like four or five points. And Underwood called the timeout with about 18 minutes left. And I don't know what he said or changed, um, but they came out of that timeout with a whole 
entirely like renewed energy <clears throat> and rhythm about them. Um, and this is where I bring up Coleman Hawkins because I think four straight possessions after that, he they ran like a cross cut for him and he made a great skip pass to Matt Meyer for a three. Next possession, he gets like a one-on-one shot clock winding down situation. It makes a great off the dribble kind of step back long two, swishes it. Uh, comes back down again and, and does has another hockey assist for a three. And it was like a, a 12-0 run they went on that kind of he spurred on the offensive and defensive end. And Bill, I know you had talked about it in previous episodes. His versatility out on the floor um, creates such a disadvantage for the defense. I mean, he's a matchup problem and the way he shoots. So, and, and I tweeted that, you know, I, I said Coleman Hawkins is Illini's most impactful player and it's not even close. Um and I think I got some flack for that, but because pretty much on any given night, you can call somebody the most impactful player, right? That's how the season's gone. But I just think that the matchup problems and his versatility, um, when he's playing well, and here's the thing, he doesn't even really know how to play yet. And this isn't a discredit to him. Um, that's coming with experience. You can see game by game, that young man is getting better and better at basketball. He's getting more comfortable. Um, he's getting more experienced. So I just think, the better he plays and the more comfortable he gets and the more he learns how to play, it's just, it's, it's going to pay dividends for the, for the entire team. That shot fake on a left wing at first half where he got the guy up in the air and just Tomahawk dunked it on their, on their five man, right? He's playing the five at that point. And you could kind of see it in Hoiberg's eyes. He's just like, what do you want me to do with that? This can kind of do it all. And I thought it was interesting. The point they made in, in later on in the Michigan state game was like, he's the only returning roster player from the fighting line two years ago so i think he was kind of thrust into this position where he was asked to do so much and sam you're right like when he makes quick decisive decisions he's almost unplayable it's when he starts trying to feel like he has to do too much and shoot off the dribble um and you know credit to him you also touched on it just in conversation sam i thought you hit the nail on the head he used to be like a super emotional player Right. Like you, you could almost see it in his he, he wore everything on his face and you can almost tell how his game was going uh, just by looking at him. And I think, um, you know, if, if we've seen anything since that Northwestern loss, I think it's a lot of that like leadership and, and more like emotional intelligence that Unwood was looking for more than anything. Right. Like you didn't you saw the ball hit the like multiple weeks, uh, three or four times in that second half good possessions and and what do you know matt meyer gets an open three coleman hawkins gets a three uh terrence shan gets to the line and so you're just like you're naturally seeing the uh maturity level kind of happen in real time and and that's that's dragging uh shot selection and a lot of like time score momentum stuff along with it and it's leading to wins yeah man i I like the fact that the line i made the game uh kind of less boring to watch. You know, I don't want to call Nebraska a boring team. They're not a boring program. Just when you think about the games that they've played and the games that we're kind of anticipating, like the Michigan State one, which we'll get into, you know, you get hyped up for those types of games, no matter what, just because of the name. So it's it's easy for fans and for us to sit back and watch this game and kind of just be like, all right, let's get to the end. You're supposed to win this one. Uh, it's not that easy when you're out there because obviously you're going on the road in the Big Ten and to, and to get a 20-point win like that, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. So, you know, they, they came prepared. Uh, they piggybacked after a lost win. Uh, after, after the lost win. Excuse me, let me go back. Let me go back. Um, they came prepared and they piggybacked off of their last uh, win. So I was impressed how, how they responded. 
Yeah, and we all know the feeling, right? Um, winning on the road in college, especially the Big Ten, I mean, is there a better feeling than that? Um, whether you win by one and it's a mucked up, ugly game, or you win like they won by by 20 plus. But anytime you win on the road, that flight home after the locker room, first of all, the locker room's a lot more fun post game. And uh, that flight home back to Champaign is a lot, lot better with a lot better feeling. After winning on the road, and those those plane rides home, that's where like you, that's where you build the team, right? Like, that's where these these yeah these team members that don't know each other super well have played with each other prior years, like that's where these these like iron bonds get formed and, and best friend for life on those plane rides home after wins. You know, it's it's a pretty quiet flight home after losses. No coach wants to hear anyone laughing. Uh, but even even something as it can seem as insignificant as a Nebraska win, right? But they absolutely had to have that one. They got it. And then all of a sudden the team chemistry looks, you know, a one going into the Michigan state game, which is a much, you know, on paper, it's a much bigger game, but it doesn't happen without first getting the Nebraska game. Yeah. And let, let's, let's get into that now. So um, we'll do a little X's and O's. Michigan state comes in. So Illinois comes off a great win um, versus Nebraska on the road. We'll, we'll, we'll call that a, a business win, right? A business trip. Like I mentioned, um, now you got Michigan state coming in. Michigan State has won seven in a row uh, coming into this game. I know Bill and I, we had talked about it. Illinois was six and a half. Was it seven point favorites uh, when we, when the line first came out? Um, which I, I'm not sh- I, I was a little surprised by it. Um, I know home home court, you know, plays into that a little bit. is worth a few points, but I, I thought it was a little bit of a... Bigger spread than than what I anticipated, um, but Michigan State seven in a row. Tom Izzo, well coached team, physical. Like this is a game at home that you have circled on the calendar when the schedule comes out in the preseason, right? Um, Friday night, and I thought they answered the bell tremendously. I think it could possibly be besides their early UCLA and Texas wins. I could. I would say that this might be the best that they've looked all season long as a unit, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. So it was just that for me, it was a continuation of like the big 12 transfer uh, pipeline. I thought those three that you're starting to see a three headed monster emerge. And in the big 10 that has a track record of being like really, really successful. Right. I think to the Purdue teams that I played against with Robbie, uh, each one more, Jawan Johnson, I saw a little bit of, um, kind of emerge Michigan State, right? Same exact thing we talked about in Nebraska. Terrence Shannon has 15 of the first 19 and doesn't even look like he's trying. He's just out there on autopilot. Um, and then, you know, they hit a little adversity. Um, I thought, uh, is it Ogard, the uh, point guard, kind of took over there late second half, ended up with 20, really good. And uh, Tom Izzo kind of just doing, this game was much more of the, classic Big Ten chess match with Tom Izzo than the Nebraska game, right? You could just kind of, the feeling out, the the lineups, the uh, Michigan State trying to go really big. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, credit to Coleman Hawkins. I thought his first half atrocious. Uh, and then just comes out kind of with 10 minutes to go in the second half. I thought he was phenomenal. Um, Dane Danger, I haven't seen a post-Arsenal like that. Maybe since I've been watching the early 90s. I'm, I've been an Illinois basketball fan my whole life. and as far as like bass to back to the basket, just having a bag of tricks, like I thought he was just exposing. And, and Tom Izzo said that in his post game, he's like, "Danger kicked our ass." So I started to look at like the Big Twelve three headed emerge, and then 
Um, I'll wrap it up here. Just thoughts on the game, but the energy guys are starting to emerge. So this is more like the Bill Coles of the world, right? So I thought RJ Melendez, great minutes. Uh, the guys that you're going to, the, the guys that can steal you wins down the strip, the schedule, right? You, you might not notice it, but I thought he hit some timely threes uh, after airballing a few in the first half. So it was like, you tell there's some mentally tough kids and then Ty Rogers with the Sky, Sky Clark X starting to play more and more. So I think, you know, this is going to be boring for everyone listening to this to keep hearing this, but these roles are starting to get more and more well chiseled out and you're starting to see Brad's uh, lineup in crunch time emerge. And I think he's like really nailed it. I thought Underwood, his adjustments at halftime were terrific. Uh, Michigan State scored 37 in the first half. Defense looked maybe for the first time all year. The defense was like, Ooh, are we are we actually a good defensive team or are we just kind of pretending? And then all of a sudden, second half, they come out and throw the clamps down and, and, and win a, a really nice Big Ten home game. Yeah, and I, I think he's starting to – which you kind of mentioned, he's starting to he's starting to trust his players more, and he's starting to trust specific lineups more. And you know that feeling as a player, you know when your coach trusts you or doesn't trust you, right? So I think he's starting to trust these these combo certain combinations he has in there at certain points in the game. Um, and I think it's helping guys like a, a Matt Meyer who was struggling to get going some games early on in the season, but now he knows that, you know, Underwood has trusted him. He can get away with some things out there and he's able to get more comfortable um, and build more of a rhythm throughout an entire, you know, basketball game. Uh, I think one of the most impressive things about this team is, you know, and this is, this happens at any level, whether you're in high school, college, professional, you go into the film sessions, you break down the film and the coach is going to look at the film and he's going to tell you who we're going to go at on defense. He said, we're going to go at this guy. We're going to punish him. He can't move his feet. He can't fight through screens. When you look down the Illini roster, there's no one you could really pick on. You can't say, okay, we're going to go at this guy. We're going to, we're going to get this guy into a switch situation so we can go at him. You don't have that down the line. So guys, and that's a testament just to, to Underwood's program, uh, you know, the grit that they have. Obviously, Chester Frazier coming in on staff, definitely beating that defensive mentality into them. Uh, so I'm I'm just impressed at how they're able to come back and and hold this team to what they held them to. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Michigan State hit a three the whole game. I mean, you know, that's that's you could say a lot about that. Whether that's being you know a line that holding them back, or maybe they missed some shots, or they didn't take enough shots. But at the same time, that's a pretty impressive stat. Right. And at halftime, like you said, Bill. I mean, they're down 37. They're down four. Illinois is down four at halftime. Because um, Michigan State ended the half first half really well, um, and I just thought the first half was so much more of your typical, you know, uh, Big Ten, you know, powerhouse matchup. We're just throwing haymakers, Michigan State and Illinois, and nobody can really separate or, or get into much of a rhythm. Um, but I think, like you said, Bill Dane in the second half, especially, he just they he 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 owned the paint right. He 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 dominated the paint. Um, and good things I've noticed, at least good things usually happen when the ball goes through him, whether it's for him or for somebody else, because um, he's starting to attract so many eyes. And you can tell defenses and teams are starting to, you know, build scouting reports to stop him, um, which opens everything up for everybody else. And he's such a willing passer too. you know, he's not one of those guys where you throw the ball and it's not coming back out. Um he usually nine times, eight, nine times out of 10 makes the right decision when he gets the ball. Um, but he was just a monster. I, I think that's something that Illini fans have been waiting to see all year because of they see a little bit of Kofi in him. Um, 
and and what they watched all all last year with was how dominant he was in the paint. And, and Dane's a, a completely different player, right? So um, I, I don't want to compare the two, but I think they've kind of been yearning for, and I'm sure the staff has as well for a big paint game, right? Somebody to dominate in the paint, and obviously they know the reason they have him is because he's capable of doing that. And what what better way to have a coming out party um, than versus Michigan State? Exactly. That's huge because if you, I mean, we've all done it. If you've ever played against Michigan State, for the people listening, like their bigs are out there for one reason, and that's to punk you. Like I think they they practice with like football pads on, and and to have uh, a Dane Danger come in and kind of control that as you know, he's not controlling it with a forward partner. He's controlling it solo, both on the defensive end, and he's getting some of those guys in really awkward positions deep down low on the block. And he's he's scoring left hook, right hooks, uh, spin, uh, spin baseline dunk. Like that was super impressive. Like really awesome performance by uh, back to the basket player. Like again, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be prisoner a moment, but um, as far as like pure bass to the back to the basket skill, haven't haven't seen that in a really long time from from anyone. Yeah, man, he's such an impressive talent, and and I'm gonna go ahead and say that you know playing against guys like obviously Draymond. Uh, you know, Delvon Rowe, you got the Derek Nix screens, you got the Raymar Morgans you got to fight through. I think Dane Danger, you, you take him back to our time a little bit. He's holding his own. He might be one of the only ones that's holding his own in that in those types of matchups just because of the way he can move, the way he can finesse around the basket, his strength and, and his skillful mindset. So, you know, I think that says a lot because those guys that we, you know, I just named. You know, they were they were bully ball all day. So, you know, it was it was obviously battle every time we played Michigan State and for them to to hold on to home court like this. Uh very proud of that win for sure. Yeah, I think Goran Sutan was another one, right? Goran Sutan. Shout out to my boy Goran. I didn't, I mean to miss him. I I played with Goran uh, in Spain a few years back. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with Bill. I've chased a lot of pin down screens, like I'm talking about go back to like Drew Neitzel when he was a senior and I was a freshman. Like I've chased a that was what I did, right? You chase around pin down screens, pin down screens, chase people off doubles, chase chase guards off off triples. Um, I've never had more difficult time chasing guards off of screens, especially pin downs, than I had during my career versus Michigan State. Like you said, those guys were huge. They were physical. They were not afraid of contact. And like just as soon as you think you're like getting around the screen. They'd give you like a little nudge with their hip or something, and the next thing you know, you're you're, you're three feet out of the play, and it's got an open shot. All, all it takes is getting you off your track, exactly. And you're trying to chase around the Kalen Lucases, the the Corey Lucases, and the Bryn Forbes of the world. Like that's not a fun that's not a fun matchup at all. You know these guys these guys know how to go. Absolutely, absolutely. The only ones I would put up against those Michigan State guys, Brandon names, are the, the Dallas Lauderdale caught me with like the knee and the quad while I was chasing John Ebler like 15 times a game. And then you had uh, Sullinger on the other block that you're trying to run around. It was like those Michigan State, I mean, that is Big Ten basketball, right? I think a little bit of that is maybe what we struggle. Like we just beat the hell out of each other, uh, you know, in the middle of the season. And then I, we've, we've kind of struggled the last 20 years in postseason play. It, it, you know, that makes me wonder. It's like it is such a physical game. And to kind of bring this back full circle, I just don't know if you get this in other leagues. Um, and then to have kind of our own little version of that emerging with Dane Danger, but a very highly skilled one, right? Someone that could take all that punishment and then be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be able to withstand that and deal with it, but I'm also going to throw a little finesse out here 
and, uh, and, and throw up, you know, 12, 12 points a game. So I don't know. He just like really impressed me. him. And, and then I don't want to, I don't want to leave this out because I, I feel like we, there's no chance we could move on to the next segment without calling out Matt Meyer had, had he had what, seven blocks on defense. That might've been, that might've been the best 19 point performance or, or 20 point performance and less I've ever seen by an individual player. Um, I just thought he's like, he was so hot. He was in foul trouble. Brad was playing him a lot of trust. Brad was playing him with three fouls, four fouls. He just hit some bombs, some like big time bombs where that was like first time in a long time as like, I almost turned into like a fanboy again. Like I was like standing up in front of my TV watching Matt Meyer. I thought individual performance just to kind of like shut the door that was 10 minutes of the game. Like just unbelievable on both ends of the floor. And you could tell he's just getting more and more comfortable as the season goes on. Um, you know, being a new guy with a new team. Um, and two of those blocks, I think, like were were big time like chase down blocks to like stop a Michigan State run. And um, those are momentum changing plays, right? So I thought it was interesting. He said in the post game that he's learned all that. Um, like he, you know, he's kind of learned this shot blocking ability from Coleman Hawkins. Uh, just kind of like a maybe it's just a change in mentality, but I did find that was an interesting quote. And maybe even sarcastic. I don't know. Yeah. So Bill and I last week compared to it's just amazing, you know, throughout a college basketball season, which we've talked about the ups and downs emotionally that you can go through. You know, we're on the pod last week talking about rock bottom, using words like that um, to describe this team and talking about how the locker room might be in disarray. And now here we are a week later, um, they have a professional win versus Nebraska, literally take care of business, and then they come back and um, I don't want to say smack a Michigan t- State team, but I thought they handled them pretty well. Um, so they're riding high now, right? So now it's about what can they do, what can they take? Because like, listen, after some bad losses, you have film sessions and stuff, It's I don't want to say easy. But it's easy to kind of take away what you didn't do well and then go apply it right in practice and, and get better and get better with your execution or whatever it is you're trying to trying to get better with. And um, it's, a, it's a whole nother story when um, you're winning big games, you're winning handily and your emotions are riding high and your confidence is. How do you take that now from the wins and still learn something like there's a lot they can still learn and take from during that Michigan State game that may, might not necessarily have went well that they can use, you know, in these future games coming up. I think Sam's Sam's point is, right, like the old adage is like, well, you need to learn from your losses. Failure is a part of life and learn. But every coach in the world will tell you, like, I would much rather learn from wins, right? It's a better, it's a healthier mental state to learn. And it's like what Brandon said about the, uh, the film studies. Like, you know, it's a lot easier to take in some healthy criticism as a player if it doesn't feel like the sky is falling around you. Um, and so I just think, you know, back to your point, Sam, it's like, you know, what do they learn from the tape from game, but also what do you learn about, you know, the team emotionally about, like, we talked about like not taking that deep breath after, you know, beating Wisconsin and taking the road trip out to Nebraska, beating them, not taking another deep breath again. It just, it's like, it's just one after another in the big 10 and you have to have your head screwed on. You cannot afford, like you said, like if they have a mental lapse against Michigan state and just don't play well. We're right back in that same position where we're all, we're probably honestly questioning, you know, are we still going to make the tournament? But now it just feels completely different. It's just like the, you start to feel even the home the the home crowd. I thought they were trash. 
there was certain parts the other night where we started to get calls that you don't maybe always see an Illinois team get against Michigan State. Tom Izzo's got technical. The crowd is like super into it. All of a sudden, that home court advantage, when you do get those big time games coming in, those Michigan States, those Indianas, who we have two games from now, I think our crowd is as good as I think our home court when they're when they're on and when the vibe around the program's really good is as, as is as good as anyone's in the country. Yeah, I mean, to piggyback off of that, when you think about the home crowd, it really does help with the adrenaline. You know, you're already you're you're amped up for the games and you know, there was a stretch where they were down nine, ten points and you know, you make a couple of shots, you get a couple of stops, you get the crowd pumped into it. This is why guys come to this stage. It's why they choose the university they choose the fan bases that they choose and uh, the fans always find a way to make the game exciting and uh, for them to take care of these wins, going back to the film sessions and, and looking at them, they probably could say to themselves, you know, we probably could have handled these wins even better. You know, we probably could have put ourselves further away as far as the margin goes and, and take that into the next game as consideration. Yeah. I think this is maybe the first part of the podcast that we've ever disagreed. I actually, I was thinking about it today and I thought the Minnesota, you know, when you think about going to Minnesota, at least, and again, we had two completely different eras, really. Um, or I was like playing against Tubby Smith, but I, I thought that was like a relatively as far easy place to play as far as Big Ten, um, you know, visiting games are. I, th- I love, like you said, the elevated floor, the barn. It's a really old school building. Three, the locker room they shove you in is about, you know, the size of my desk that I'm doing this podcast from. Um, and it helps, you know, historically they haven't had the, you know, the strongest of programs. So I think to me, this is really, really similar to the Nebraska, Michigan state back to back. It, for me, this Minnesota one, it's a must have, but like the real important one is turning around and having Indiana to follow that. Like I, I start looking at this as like a two game tournament, have to have both of these. And, and what's more important is obviously taking care of business on the road at Minnesota, but I think we're again. I think it's going to be a lot like Nebraska. I think we're so much more talented to a man that is, as long as the um, like the right headspace is there, that's going to be a win. And then it's about then you're actually going to have a chess match against like you know the op the, you know probably our third biggest rival, which is Indiana. You know it's a, it's the opposite border war, but I love the fact that we have them at home. So really interesting group of games coming up. Um, I, I don't know that much about Minnesota. Sam did hit the nail on the head though. They're coming off a big. I think their only Big Ten win against um, Ohio State at Ohio State, which is really tough to do. So it'll be an interesting group of games here. Yeah, so let's let's get into a uh, little scouting report now. So uh, next on the schedule um, is they're, they're going back on the road. Uh, Got to play a Minnesota team, a 7-8 and eight Minnesota team. Um, again, I, I feel like we're getting a little redundant, but it's, it's, it's how a Big Ten season works, right? You, you ride these emotions and – you have these road games where you're, you're supposed to win and it's got to be uh, approached um, like a business trip. Um, and, and I think the, the Nebraska game is going to bode well for this same exact scenario uh, that's coming up. So I, I, what I'll say about Minnesota is um, I thought personally uh, that's one of the tougher places to play in the Big Ten. I think they, they have a great atmosphere. I, they have that you know elevated floor. Um, they're always physical. They play hard. Um so I just remember that being a, a really, really, really tough place to win. Um, so obviously, I, I'm sure it still is. They just beat Ohio State at Ohio State, too. So um, they're riding a little high. So their thought process, what better way uh, to, to start a little two-game win streak than knocking off you know Illinois that, that just 
you know, smacked uh, Michigan State. I mean, when you count that win, you look towards the end of the game and you see that call. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was a very uh, controversial call on the end of the Ohio State-Minnesota game. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really care. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. But, you know, it is a tough place to play. It is a tough place to play. But to Bill's point, I'm thinking about the places where it's just like, damn, it's about to be a dogfight. You know, you, when you go to Michigan State, when you go to Michigan, Ohio State, Purdue is always a beast. Purdue is always a beast over there. I think that might be Purdue and Ohio State might be the two teams where we never run on the road when I was on the team. Um, and obviously Indiana, you know, those are, I would say, the top five hardest places. Then you got your Penn States. Um, but, you know, going to Minnesota, it's not easy. It's got the elevated. I feel like I just have to defend myself a little bit. So by Toughest places to play, I meant that you're, you're going to have to internally as a team find motivation to get up for that game. You know what I mean? So I should have clarified that. Um, by no means necessary is is playing at Minnesota tougher than playing at the Breslin Center or playing at Ohio State or like or Indiana. But wasn't it – isn't this the locker room? Isn't this the locker room where they usually like turn the air off or they turn the air – maybe the heat on too high and we would always complain about that? Yeah, it's just like they're going to have to find – their own motivation to get up for it and like, you know, that kind of deal. So because there's not going to be people hanging on the floor, like it's not going to be an atmosphere that um, those other places have. But sorry, Brandon, go ahead. No, I mean, you're right about that. I'm just thinking about uh, all the places. And I just remember always going to Minnesota and being like, all right, it's too cold here. Or, you know, what does that smell? What they leave in the locker room for us to smell for this to, to just to get us out of our game. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny, the, the stuff that teams will do. You had a spot on the road everywhere we went where you can get chicken wings from. So that's a fact. Yeah, man. Oh, well, they had a spot that we used to order chicken wings from. Amazing. Now, you, now you're getting my mouth wide. Now I'm getting hungry. Yeah, and for those watching, but, I mean, you know. I've seen Brandon eat a lot of chicken wings. Uh, we were roommates in college, and we've been pretty, pretty good friends for the better part of 15 years. Um, so you, you don't want to see the way Brandon eats a chicken wing. So. Oh, yeah. I was, I was really him. I was really him. I had one on the way home from every game we played in Mizzou. We played at the Bragging Rights game. It was a little spot. I think the bar was called like Annie's or something. Some of the best wings I've ever had in my life. So I might need to make that trip the next time I go to that game. It's so efficient. I was. I. I think I was rooming with Brad. I was rooming with Brandon at Brandon at Iowa one game, and I remember him like giving the most detailed instructions ever to the lady at the bar about his pregame chicken wings, how much hot sauce needed to be on the wings. And then he he finished with saying, like, I would be coming down for more sauce if there's not enough sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to send, like, little threats in there because, you know, people don't really take it serious. I take my wing eating very serious, and it's, and it's like a, it's a passion. It's really a passion. Times when I'd like be coming back from the facility or we were out or something and I'd have to pick up some geos for us and like you were at the apartment, like the detailed what you'd give me to order the wings. I had to like read it off to the guy and you'd be like, if you don't like they got to be this way, otherwise I don't want them. I'll, I'll make you walk your ass back. And so like you're super specific about about uh, how you eat your wings, which is hilarious. Um, let's get into um a segment that we've done the last few times, which is pretty cool, a uh, segment called Word on Campus. Let's transition into that. 
Um, we've talked about um, <clears throat> some inner workings of, of what's going on on campus with some inside intel and stuff. Uh, the last few times, it's it's been about you know what's going on with the transfer portal and, and Sky Clark. But um, Bill, you mentioned uh, pregame with us here um, some some snippets of of what you heard um, in some post game pressers after the last few days that uh, I think we should address and talk about a little bit. Uh, there were things uh, that came out of that post game at Michigan State that were really interesting to me, and I'm curious to get your guys' takes on it. And the first one, um, you know, Matt Meyer came out and voiced frustrations in the media a few weeks ago, right in the midst of that skid that they were going through, and he came out after the Michigan State game as he shouldn't he knows that stuff, right? Um, and then he he came out and was like very complimentary of the way uh, Coach Underwood has kind of regained the traction of the program and got everything in the right directions and said his investments were amazing. Um, and then there was another one where I thought Tom Izzo had an interesting comment in the post game that there was some addition by subtraction with getting rid of, uh, or not getting rid of, but essentially losing Sky Clark for what seems like an indefinite amount of time. So. Um, I thought both of those were interesting comments. Uh, you know, Izzo saying the addition by subtraction comment and then Underwood coming back out and saying it probably looks like that to an outsider because we've hit our groove. So I'm just curious, like, you know, word on campus for us, we've all dealt with, uh, we've all dealt with media after whether it's big wins, uh, tough losses, like what were, what are your, what are your guys kind of general thoughts around those two post game comments, both from Underwood and Matt Meyer? Well, I would say, um, I did see those quotes when the article came out. I think it was a Sun Times article after Northwestern game, um, and I was pretty taken uh, taken back by them um, that players were saying the things they were saying. Um, it, it's it's a different era now, right? Um, I mean, it's it's obviously you see it in the NBA, the player empowerment area era, um, but even in college basketball now, um, the access these guys have to the media and social media, um, it's it's just a little different than it was when we were playing personally. Um, I couldn't imagine myself. Um, I th- always thought I was pretty good with the media. I thought I was was politi- pretty politically correct. I always thought I didn't reveal too much, um, especially what was going on inside the locker room. I made a point to, um, you know, that, that that was kind of a sacred place for us, right? Where you don't want anything in the locker room that um, the outside doesn't know about. You, you don't want them to know about that, right? Um, so I was going to be the last guy um, that would provide the media um or any competitive advantage to an opponent, uh, that there was turmoil in the locker room. Um, so I was a little surprised, um, by some of the players comments. Again, it's, it's a different time. Um, also every coach, the way he runs his program, um, is a little different, right? And, and Matt Meyer's a guy and, and I'm certainly not knocking him. Um, I give him a tremendous amount of credit, um, for coming back, Bill, like you said, and, and saying that he was wrong and, and that he did that. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a different time. And I think it speaks to Brad Underwood, right? I think it speaks to the fact that he gives his players some freedom. Um, and also speaks to, you got to give him some credit, um, that his, his locker room is in a little bit of turmoil. They're on a losing streak. Players are making some comments. Three games later, his players are coming out almost "Quote unquote," apologizing for for what they did or what they said or whatnot, and and one thing I'll I'll say about that to tie it all together is there's an old adage that says winning solves everything, right? So you go win two big games after some turmoil, um, 
and and Meyer comes out comes out and, and makes those comments and, and reneges on what he said, and which I think is very mature of him, right? He's he's a fifth year guy. Um, he's been in a lot of different locker rooms, um, had a lot of different teammates. Um, so, but I will say that um, throughout a college basketball season, if you if you win, it takes care of of a lot of other problems or issues you can potentially have as a group. Yeah, I thought um, I'll focus on. I, I totally agree with everything you just said. I thought ton of maturity from Matt Meyer to come back. out. I think a lot of it is the winning uh, side of things as well. And then <clears throat> I'll go back to the other comment from Tom Izzo, because I would tend to be on his side here. I don't mean this to, you know, there's, there's things can don't have to be mutually exclusive. Sky Clark's an amazing player. He's probably an amazing person. The program's really wrapped their arms around him, but his absence, you know, leaving midseason when it happened, when they were going through that skid, it has really allowed kind of everything to fall as far as lineups. That's all I'm talking about, right? Lineups, knowing roles in in energy. Sometimes you you can know subliminally that a teammate is going through something, whether it's mentally or or family or whatever, and it can t- it can be weighing on the whole team because they love that guy like a brother. And I think you know I think what Tom Izzo was trying to say is that they've been a different team since since the absence was announced, um, and whether it has anything to do with it or not. I would say maybe subliminally it, it does. I think it kind of it kind of mandated a lot of that stuff that we were asking for after Northwestern, right, Sam? Like it automatically shortened the rotation. It got Jaden Epps more minutes. It kind of naturally forced leaders out of the the you know the Big Twelve transfers. So really interesting this game comments, uh, not just from Matt Meyer, but from Tom Izzo and then Brett Underwood saying saying he might be right, but that's not how we're looking at it internally. I just thought. I just thought the media uh, kind of coverage on this team is start to ramp up. Maybe they sense like a, uh, you know, maybe that's, oh, yes, team is that talented where we could have a, we could have a really big run. And you're, you're starting to see kind of everyone come to the table, a lot more eyes on, on everything that's said. Yeah. I'm just, I'm glad you brought it up, Bill, because um, there's so much media exposure. I mean, we lived it as far as, you know, three times a week after practice, you know, they open up to the media and, you're in front of a camera and sometimes a lot of times, you know, what questions they're going to ask. Um, but sometimes you don't. And and these are some of these are 18, 19, 20 year old kids that uh, may not have had a ton of media exposure before. And they can kind of get back to newer corner to where they say something. And um, next thing you know, it's, it's a headline and it's a problem in the locker room, et cetera. So um, I think that's kind of an underrated point you made, Bill, that, um, you know, they have some veterans on this team that have, have been involved in, in the media before. Um, so Matt Meyer doing that shows that he knows he made a little bit of a mistake when he did that. Um, and he owned it. And I, I think they'll be better for it. I can remember a story one time, like Sam was saying, where just after a tough, a tough loss against, uh, I think it was Iowa or somebody, or maybe it was like Northwestern. The one time we lost to them where I just said something like nonchalant after the game where, I thought their, you know, I thought their zone surprised us a little bit, like something like real, what I thought was like super light. And I could tell, like, you know, I had multiple assistant coaches being like, you know, they kind of like took us to it and they talked to me afterwards about it. Um, and, and realize, really, I looking back, like, yeah, I could see how that might look bad to, when, when the player says we were surprised by something. But in, in reality, in my mind, when I'm like looking back at the game immediately after we play it, I'm just talking about surprising the players so i do think there's this little aspect of you have to be really slick and really um 
on guard that you're not putting anything out there that's going to be misconstrued by by someone that didn't hear the question and they didn't hear the context of it right so it's just just interesting stuff so that happens um i'm glad like you know the health of the the health of the locker room seems to be in a better place than it was a month ago so i'm just kind of glad that it's all taken care of but interesting conversations for sure brandon i know you got some comments about media in, in your t- tenure and, and how it was handled yeah i mean i don't know i don't know what you want from the guy who had Twitter banned from a team from two different coaching staffs. So that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive in itself. Weber came out one day, said, you guys are done on Twitter. I'm, I'm tired of it. Brandon, what are you doing? You know, I had no, you know, I, there was, there was nothing I wouldn't say in the media. I was, I was never disrespectful. You know, I always carried myself as a, a professional, as a, as a student athlete, but I was very witty. I was very outspoken and, and I didn't, uh, when, when fans had something to say or, or players or coaches had something to say, I made sure that my voice was heard. But as far as this this whole situation, I really don't have that many comments on it. You guys kind of touched on all of it, and uh, you know, I agreed to uh, a certain extent. But you know, I, I have a love hate relationship as far as the media goes. You know what I mean? Sometimes as players, you fall into a trap of answering what they want to hear rather than what you really want to say because you get baited into this. Uh, sort of questioning where you answer the question and they might ask it in another way to see if you'll change your answer. And then you change your answer and now you're back into a corner, like you said. And I think with experience, most guys understand that, uh, you know, they can't really fall into that trap. And, uh, you know, maybe he did it. And it's definitely a learning experience. Well, plus, you know, they're, I'm sure they do a good job, Illinois. I don't know who's their, uh, I'm not sure who their SID is, um, now, if it's still Derek or, or who it is, but I, I just thought when I was there, at least, and shout out to Derek Burson, I, I thought he did a good job of picking and choosing, especially, and I'm sure Underwood has something to do with this as well, like after a specific loss or win or whatnot, um, who, who he wants in front of the media, you know, based on the temperature of, of the team at the time or um, what the s- exact specific situation is, because you know, I, I feel like when, especially when I was at Illinois, I was a little bit older. I had had years under my belt. I had t- some tough media sessions before. I'd been through a lot of ups and downs where there was a lot of times that Bruce and Derek would grab me to do a media session that was going to be pretty, um, quote unquote, intense or, or something and, and know that maybe I wasn't going to divulge, you know, information that the media maybe wanted to hear or something. And I'm not just talking about me. That happens with every team. Uh, that's just an example I'm providing. So I'm sure they have a pretty good grasp on that. So good pod. Um, I, th- I think we covered a lot. Um, the gist of it obviously being that um, complete 180, right? So <clears throat> Illini fans that are watching and, and have been following along, um, I feel like our podcast has kind of went along with the the ups and downs and the roller coaster of emotions um, that Illini fans and the team may have been feeling the last few weeks. So um, two huge wins, um, a business win, like we said, a big win versus Michigan State. Um, so we'll check back next week. Bill mentioned, um, you know, kind of the same type of situation and scenario. Um, go, go get a business win, handle some, handle it uh, at Minnesota. Um, not an easy place to play. Um, and then come back, Another a rivalry game versus Indiana you got at home um, that is another chance to get another big win on the schedule. And and next thing you know, we're talking 0-3 last week. Uh, it, it, when we come back next week, it's a chance that Illinois is 5-3 in the Big Ten season and up near the top of the standings. So. 
Thanks for joining, fellas. We'll, we'll check back next week. Beyond the Big Ten is a network of podcasts that aims to be your go-to resource for all things Big Ten. We cover the entire conference with shows hosted by ex-players and athletic alumni, aiming to be your go-to source of information and entertainment for your favorite team. Hosted by ex-Big Ten players, media, and insiders, our podcasts are focused on giving diehard fans and those alums an inside scoop about the teams and people that make the Big Ten Conference one of the most watched and most talked about conferences in sports. We're excited to talk Big Ten basketball with you wherever you may be. Subscribe now.